Hey there, I'm your host, Darren Steele, and this is Think Queerly, a thought leadership podcast that empowers queer creatives and other thought leaders to become more skillful at developing their thing and making a positive difference in the world. Now, I'm a thinker, a writer, a transformational coach, and I offer a queer perspective to an often divisive and binary worldview, because there's no so-called normal, no status quo without queerness, which is an essential counterbalance that cultivates and fosters a thriving, inclusive, and equitable society. Now, on the show, I will explore LGBTQ history, social and political issues, and I hold discussions with queer leaders and creatives who are making a difference for a common humanity. And then today, what I'm going to be offering you is a transformative thought process. So I hope you enjoy. So today's episode is going to be something of an experiment for me, and I hope it works out. And if it doesn't, well, you won't know any better because then I'll never publish this. I have begun reading the book, When Things Fall Apart, Heart Advice for Difficult Times by the well-known author Pema Chodron, or Chodron. I don't know if I'm saying her name correctly, but something just jumped out at me last night, I was reading one of the chapters, chapter six, not causing harm. And I reread it again this morning. And there were a number of lines that just leapt off the page for the absolute wisdom that is found in this book. Now, let me just tell you, if you don't know, and I'm just reading from the back cover, because that's just the easiest that the author Pema Chodron is an American Buddhist nun in the lineage of Chogyam Trungpa and resident teacher at Gampo Abbey in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia, the first Tibetan Buddhist monastery in North America. She's the author of numerous best-selling books, including The Places That Scare You and Living Beautifully. Now, there's one other book I've uh, read by her um, that deals with adversity, and there's something so human and simple and truthful, not ideological, not in any way religious, not even overly Buddhist. Because often I find sometimes reading these um, books might feel almost a little too religious or that they're following a particular way of being and thinking um, that may distance me, the reader, from the content. So chapter six, not causing harm, is this idea of not causing harm to yourself or others. And that simply means in the largest sense, not just physical harm, but the harm we do to ourselves by the ways in which we think about ourselves. If we are self-deprecating, if we don't believe in ourselves, if we're very hard on ourselves, very critical, if we don't love ourselves, if we haven't questioned maybe the beliefs we have about certain things in our lives, and how we then go about our lives based on those uncritically held beliefs, or not even knowing what we value, and then when something happens that's perceived as a negative, we blame ourselves. Or for gay men dealing with gay shame, or anyone who's queer dealing with any kind of otherness shame, having not felt like they fit in 
growing up as a child and an adolescent, not maybe seeing themselves properly represented in a meaningful, thoughtful, loving, and self-accepting sort of way. So I'm going to state very clearly when I read from the book so that you know I am properly quoting the source. Here we go. Not harming others, not harming ourselves or others, is the basis of enlightened society. This is how there could be a sane world. It starts with sane citizens, and that is us. The most fundamental aggression to ourselves, the most fundamental harm we can do to ourselves, is to remain ignorant of not having the courage and the respect to look at ourselves honestly and gently. Now, here's what I want to say about that. I have been using the term personal responsibility for a couple of years now and advocating for the importance of that and recently had read some interesting philosophy around how personal responsibility has led to sort of a cult of individualism. When I think of personal responsibility, I think of personal responsibility in the sense of how I act towards myself, how I think about myself, and how that connects me to the rest of the world, how that helps me to relate to others for a common humanity. And when I say common humanity, I mean common good in the largest sense of the word, as in my thoughts can lead to my actions, and my thoughts expressed in words and in dialogue with others are either going to uplift others or bring others down. If I'm critical of others, I'm essentially being critical about myself. Because whatever judgment we place on others is something we haven't taken the time to own about ourselves. If you judge someone else, there is something you are very specifically judging about yourself. And by continuing to judge, you have not done the self-work to look inside and figure out what it is that you're so afraid of understanding about yourself that would resolve that pain and discomfort. Now, to me, this speaks very strongly to queer individuals, to LGBTQ people, because if we have grown up in a heteronormative society that privileges the norm, the status quo, male, female, the binary, and we won't even get into all the other aspects of privilege, like white privilege and whatnot, it's not going to make this too political, but if we grow up in that kind of society where we are marginalized and we begin to experience that marginalization as a result of not seeing the best fully accepting representations of who we are, of not always seeing ourselves celebrated by all people, that is harm from society against us. And as a child, as an adolescent, if we don't have the means, be it through our parenting or our schooling or groups that we belong to, if those situations don't help lift us up, 
or find acceptance. We will just believe what we see and hear and interpret, even if we don't have the critical thinking skills to rationalize that this othering, this marginalization is wrong. So many queer people grow up angry, upset, sad, depressed, in need of love. In need of love because they haven't been taught how to grow up with complete self-acceptance and self-love. So this leads me to the next quotation from this chapter, and I quote, The ground of not causing harm is mindfulness, a sense of clear seeing with respect and compassion for what it is we see. Such a simple sentence, but it's so powerful. I must read it again. The ground of not causing harm is mindfulness. A sense of clear seeing with respect and compassion for what it is we see. Let me break that down. Mindfulness, kind of a buzzword, but in its most simplistic understanding or definition, it's being aware, being mindfully aware, and being mindful of our thoughts and how our thoughts work and how our thoughts affect how we think and what we choose to do, and how our thoughts are affected by our feelings and how our thoughts may affect our feelings. So not causing harm starts with the mindful awareness of all the things I just said, and that's a sense of clear seeing. Another word for that is insight, seeing inside of yourself, seeing inside of yourself to those deeply rooted, call them ethical values of respect and compassion for what it is we see. And what it is we see is both us as we see ourselves reflected in a mirror or in how we perceive ourselves in whatever environment we find ourselves and the external world. Pema calls that a basic practice. And she talks about meditation as well as a technique to create this mindfulness, but there are many other ways in which you can accomplish mindfulness. If we judge ourselves, we are causing harm to ourselves. And if we judge ourselves, we will do the same to others because that energy, that emotion, that way of feeling is living within us. And the only way we can really disperse it is to, one, use that judgment on others to deflect from that clear seeing of ourselves and everything outside of us with respect and compassion or the better way that we resolve it is that we simply forgive ourselves if we catch ourselves judging someone else recognize that we've done that and become aware oh ah i judged what is it that i'm judging about myself is the most appropriate question to ask and to take the time to do that investigation, however long it takes. 
So she goes on to talk about how this then, this harming others infiltrates society. And as we become more mindful and more gentle with ourselves and in our relations with others, we may be shocked to realize just how hurtful or harmful we've actually been to others in ways we talk, our tone of voice, the words we choose, or the things that we've done. And I quote, Our style is so ingrained that we can't hear when people try to tell us, either kindly or rudely, that maybe we're causing some harm by the way we relate with others. That's a profound moment of mindful awakening and self-acceptance for what we've done in the past without judging ourselves, without blaming ourselves, simply taking ownership for what we've done, for how we've acted. And as challenging as it can be, it's a moment of vulnerability and it's a moment of beautiful humility. And humility is that thing that connects us at the core of our humanity with other people. Because humility is in one sense of the word, a service to others, a supporting of others. And when we become humble in a moment of self-awareness that we've caused harm to others by supporting someone else, which could be just listening to what they have to say to us, we understand them. And humility has a etymological meaning of being under something in the sense of serving and supporting, which is how we get this idea of understanding with compassion and respect for another person. So this is a journey. It's going to take time. We're not going to have one situation where somebody says, you've been very harmful or hurtful to me in the way that you've spoken to me in the past, and bam, we're done. It's all over, right? No, no. Life has a way of showing up and reminding us that there's still some more that we have to practice if we choose to be open and willing to evolve as better human beings for our common humanity. So Pema then goes on, and I quote, The next step is refraining. Mindfulness is the ground. Refraining is the path. So she then goes on to explain that, you know, refraining, that really sounds like we're going to have to limit ourselves. Oh, no, I can't do this and I can't do that. Ah, this sucks. Now I don't have any freedom. I don't have personal liberation. That's not what this means. It's not about taking away. It is not about limiting. It is refraining in the sense of recognizing the things that we do in our life that we use to fill in the gaps. So she uses some examples of the entertainment culture that, you know, we're on our phones, we're scrolling, that, you know, we suddenly find ourselves standing in line and instead of maybe just standing and letting yourself be aware of your thoughts or 
listening to the sounds around you, just being mindful in the moment, checking in with yourself. It's like, nope, got to pull up my phone, got to check Instagram, got to see if I have an email. And then as soon as you get home, when you're finished dinner, you're going to have a glass of wine. Maybe you're going to have a second one and then you're going to put on Netflix and you're going to have the TV on at the same time while you're still browsing Instagram or TikTok or whatever it is. You're being so wholly distracted by some sort of outside entertainment that you are no longer inside. You are no longer gaining the insight of mindfulness and respectful, compassionate awareness. It's not to say that there's anything wrong with social media or entertainment or having a couple glasses of wine. That's not what's being expressed here. What's being expressed is that we, as a culture, are more and more and more leaning on, defaulting to distraction. And so we're not in tune with who we are. And when we aren't in tune with who we are, we're not mindful, keep coming back to this word, of when we might react to something. Because we're not paying attention to what's happening inside of us, such that if someone says something, we have a knee-jerk emotional reaction and we're triggered. And we do harm. We do harm by thinking badly about ourselves. We do harm by then blowing up and yelling at the other person. We do harm by shutting down and refusing to talk to that person who said something so awful to us. How dare they? Mindfulness is especially important for queer people because of the connection I talked about earlier to being on the margins. This is what allows us to have the sensitivity, not just to other queer people, to hear them, to see them, but to understand with more respect and compassion for other individuals who suffer harm, whether that be someone of color, whether that be someone with a different physical ability or intellectual ability, whether that be someone of a different economic situation, whether that be someone who's suffering PTSD or some sort of emotional trauma from rape or a terrible loss of a parent, for example. It's no surprise then that many queer people go into some sort of work like coaching or therapy or massage or personal training that help others get more in tune with who they are because we have had to do the work to look inside to understand who we are in relation to the rest of society. I quote Pema on this idea, it's the practice of not immediately filling up space just because there's a gap. This is an important aspect of fostering, cultivating our self-awareness and mindfulness is allowing ourselves more time not to have to fill in the empty spaces, the gap, with some form of entertainment or distraction. And that could be practicing a five-minute meditation a day, maybe trying it a couple times, maybe going for a walk in nature without a phone, without any music or headphones, and just allowing She then says further, and I quote, Refraining is the method for getting to know the nature of this restlessness and fear. 
It's a method for settling into groundlessness. So this restlessness, this fear is, oh my goodness, I have nothing to do right now. How shall I fill in my time? Well, in the days before the internet and cell phones, I remember playing a lot more, even when I wasn't a kid. I remember going out on my bike and going for more walks and just spending more time in nature. I feel like I spend more time inside today and behind a computer than I ever have in my life. So coming to the end where Pema talks about how we relate to ourselves, I quote, A thoroughly good relationship with ourselves results in being still, which doesn't mean we don't run and jump and dance about. It means there's no compulsiveness. We don't overwork, overeat, oversmoke, overseduce. In short, we begin to stop causing harm. End quote. In the LGBTQ communities, there's a lot of different types of compulsiveness, and people outside of our communities will often label us as sex addicts or drug addicts or partying or not getting our lives together. And think about it if you've lived on the margins, if you've grown up feeling othered, and you don't know any other path, you fill in the gaps with entertainment and distraction because the gaps are a scary place. The gaps are where you have to discover who you are and accept who you are with respect and compassion. Now the goal, the end goal of all of this is, as Pema writes, like a perfectly still surface of water in a mountain lake. You can imagine a small lake high up in the mountains and it's entirely calm. And what you then see through the surface when it's completely still is what's below, the rocks below, the sediment, and whatever else is at the bottom of that lake. And what's at the bottom of the lake is our grounding, is ourselves, metaphorically. But when we're constantly seeking distraction, it's like the wind is blowing really hard and the surface of the water is waving and moving all about in such a way that because of how it then reflects and refracts the light, you cannot see straight to the bottom. And when the lake is still, then our minds are at ease. That is the stillness of compassion and respect. She uses another word that our minds are at ease, full of unlimited friendliness. Unlimited friendliness, which is another wonderful way of terming loving kindness for yourself. In other words, I quote, We don't feel the need to churn up the waters just to avoid looking at what's there. The more we witness our emotional chain reactions and understand how they work, the easier it is to refrain. I've spoken about this 
and I have a recording of an emotional recipes webinar that I did with a few attendees on how to understand what are your core emotions that you want to mostly avoid and how to become aware of what are the triggers, what are the steps, what are the ingredients that lead up to you going into the red line. So it requires awareness, not just of labeling what the situations are that can take you to that red line, but also understanding the kind of emotions that you most want to experience that are most desired. And in that knowledge is also being able to exist comfortably in the gap of awareness, of non-judgment, of compassion, and of respect. If this is new to you, if you've never really looked deep inside, this is just ignorance, which isn't a bad word. It just means you don't know what you don't know. And while it may seem overwhelming at first, this is the first step towards clarity. Something a little bit different. I hope that was helpful. If you felt something open up in you or something I said resonated with you in the way in which I worked through this idea, I'd love to know what that is. If you would like to have a deeper discussion about how to become more self-aware and how that can have an impact on your ability as a queer creative and a thought leader to be more effective and efficient with bringing your work to the world and having an impact then let's have a discovery call all the information will be in the link in the show notes for this video you can just head over as well to my website and look at the transformational coaching uh, menu item at the top of the page. Learn more about how we can work together and request a discovery session with me. Thank you so much for listening and take good care.